0: Take your Bibles, if you would. If you need a Bible, there should be a Bible in a pew in front of you. Um, Just take a look. If you need a Bible, go ahead and grab that. Everyone needs a Bible, should have a Bible. Luke, uh, not my son, but the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. And hopefully we will conclude last week's message this week. (coughs) Luke chapter 5. And... um, we we'll go ahead and go back through the text so that we get refreshed as to what we looked at last week. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verse 17, and we'll be going Lord willing through verses tw- uh, through verse 26. Let me uh, also give a quick thank you. For those of you who prayed for my wife and I this past weekend, we had the privilege of conducting a marriage conference in uh, Random, North Carolina, and it went very well. Uh, thanks to the help of Elin Sanders emailing me my PowerPoint presentation last minute. (laughs) I did all that work and forgot to put it on a zip drive and take with me, and so I was panicking. And literally, I was standing in the pulpit and trying to receive a signal from my phone that I had to convert into a hotspot so I could get a signal, and it wasn't there, and I said, well, let's just go ahead and pray. I'm thinking, Lord, you are really going to have to leave me in this because I don't have my notes, my power, nothing. After we said amen, I looked, and boom, 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 boom. There was the PowerPoint. Thank you, Jesus. So, and, and thank you, Lynn Sanders. But anyway, enough of that. But thank you for those prayers. It was a, it was a great day in the Lord and uh, a good conference. appreciate it. Look in Luke 5, 17. Let's begin our reading. Now, it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Then behold, men brought on a bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they had sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this? Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, He answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Father, I pray, Lord, that you give me clarity of thought. I pray, Lord, that uh, I would be yielded to the Holy Spirit. I pray that we all would be yielded to the voice of the Holy Spirit today. Be our teacher, Lord. Teach us. Help us to glean from your truth, from your word, uh, what it is that you would have us to know and to learn and be encouraged with today. Equip us, Lord, that we may go out uh, from here today changed from how we came in, And Lord, may we glorify you, for that is why we are here, to worship and to know you more. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You remember last week we talked about, uh, in regards to this message entitled, Hindered, Helped, or Healed. Hindered, Helped, and Healed. Uh, And we looked at hindered last week and we talked about how this man was hindered. He was first hindered because of his physical limitation. Uh, We also saw how he was hindered by the crowd and uh, how they wouldn't let him in. he was also hindered by the religious that were there, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And we discussed that, how oftentimes it's the religious that hinder people from coming to know Christ. But he wasn't hindered by his own heart. He had faith. We saw that. Not just him, but the men who brought him there. Those were the men who had faith. We began to talk about how he was helped, verses 18 through 20. We talked about how they brought him, first part of verse 18. We talked about how they sought him, verse 18, second part. We ended with this point, they fought for him. So they brought him, they sought him, they fought for him, verse 19. And I left you with the question, what was more important, a roof or a man? And our challenge was to think about priorities in life and how oftentimes we do have those things messed up. We've been giving the life-changing gospel message. And yet, you and I too oftentimes are more concerned with our possessions, with our toys, with our things, than the soul of mankind. These men who brought their friend to Jesus, they were more concerned with getting this man to Jesus because they knew Jesus was the only one who could help. They had faith. Notice what the text says. Look closely. When he saw, verse 20, when he saw their faith. Whose faith? The man on the bed? I don't think so. Though I believe he must have had faith. But I know the faith, according to the Scripture, was in the men who went out of their way to seek out the men who actually did the lifting and the carrying and brought him and could have easily given up when they got there and saw the crowd. Oh, that's too crowded. Let's go somewhere else. You know, like some of you are going to do after church today when you pull up at the restaurant. Ah, it's too crowded here. Let's go over to this one. I mean, they could have easily left. They sought him, they, they brought him, and they fought for him to the point that they were willing to get on the roof and pull the tiles up and lower him down just to get him to Jesus Christ. Jesus saw their faith. Those friends, those men. I wonder if Jesus has seen our faith. How are we doing with that? You know, Ray Steadman uncovered the names of these men. The men that actually carried uh, this paraplegic to, to, to Jesus. He discovered their names. Check this out. It was Harry Hope, Larry Love, Frank Faith, and Dan Determination. Did you get that? Let me say that again. There's Frank Faith, Harry Hope, Larry Love, and Dan Determination. Harry, uh, Check this out. Frank Faith said, this is what Frank Faith said. Frank Faith said, I believe we can get this man to Jesus. Harry Hope said, I believe there's hope for this man. Larry Love said, I really love this guy. I hate his sin but love him and Dan determination said let's roll well we need some friends like that don't we we need to be people like that right well let's move on to our, our third and final point in this series in this this uh, sermon series uh, healed verse 21 through 26 you know we look at the context of this and we think about this and 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 this was a point we're trying to make but many people will never come to Jesus unless somebody brings them. I mean after all someone introduced you to Christ right the Bible doesn't say anywhere that sinners are to come to church you don't find that in the scriptures sinners are to come to church Yet we're running marketing schemes in most churches today to reach the unregenerate sinner. How do we get the lost man here? Let's do some juggling acts and breathe some fire and let's do some crazy, you know, stunt shows and maybe people come in and want to see it because they'll get entertained. You don't find that in Scripture. We talked about this on Wednesday night. By the way, we're doing a great study on Wednesday night. It's called Worship. If you haven't been, I encourage you to come. You're still not too far out of the loop. Um... Britain, didn't we order books this week? We did. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) So we did get some books ordered this week. And uh, so we have a book for you, Plan on Coming. Great study on worship. And one of the things we've talked about is, you know, MacArthur makes a great point, and I heard him say this uh, at the Cove when I was at a conference once. And he said that Jesus is no longer Lord of the church. The unregenerate sinner is. What does he mean by that? We talked about this Wednesday night. What does he mean by that statement? Jesus is no longer Lord of the church, the unregenerate sinner is. Well, what's happening is in a lot of churches, they're sitting around like a marketing uh, scheme and, and they're trying to come up with plans on how to get the unregenerate sinner, the lost man, to come to church. So instead of taking instructions and ideas from the Word of God, the head of the church, Jesus Christ, for their marching orders, they're looking to what technique will appeal to the lost to get them to come so the lost man is determining your direction that's not scriptural we take marching orders from the head of the church jesus christ and he has given us instructions go and make disciples And so that when we do gather together as we are gathering here together today to worship God because we know God, it's to also help and equip you so that you might better serve God. That's for believers. What we do here on a Sunday doesn't make a lot of sense and it's not at all appealing to a lost man. That's why sometimes even those who have been raised in church can sit here and get nothing out of it except for maybe some boredom And it's typically because they may not know Christ the natural man does not discern the things of the spirit a spiritual man understands what goes on here in a church because he knows Christ and we're gathering together to worship and we're gathering together to be equipped. And so when we look into the Word of God and we discuss the things of God, it's nourishment to our soul. It spiritually feeds us because we're hungry. I mean, you take a 400-pound man to a buffet, he knows what's going on. He's satisfied to be there. And we, spiritually speaking, should be satisfied to be here as we feed on the Word of God. Amen? Amen? The Bible doesn't say anywhere that sinners are to come to church. Everywhere in the Bible it's clear the church is to go where sinners are. We are to be engaged in going out where cripples are and bringing them to Jesus. The cripples spiritually. Those that are lost out there. Those that have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. We need to be like those guys. We need to be able to go there. And look, I'm, I'm fine with if you, if you want to just bring them in here so that they might hear from, from the Word of God and come to know Christ. Hey, that's fine. I'm good with that. I think God's good with that. Even Paul talked about uh, in 1 Corinthians that if an unbeliever comes in, so it was even happening in their days, I mean, hey, that's great. I hope there is a lost man here today and I hope he hears the message of Jesus Christ that He came to this earth, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. His whole purpose for coming was to redeem you, to save you, to offer salvation to you. He went to a cross and He died a cruel death. He laid down His life for you, for me, Because the wages of sin is death. Me and you get what we deserve. We deserve to die. It's appointed unto man to die once. And then the judgment. And the good news is Jesus Christ conquered death. He laid in a tomb for three days and He rose on the third day victorious over death. He is alive. He's ascended to heaven and He's coming back. One day, to take with Him those who have repented of their sin, turn, recognizing I am a sinner lost, on my way to hell, unless I repent and receive Christ as my Lord and Savior. Have you turned from your sin to the only one who can save you? That's why Christ came. He came to save. He came to seek and to save the lost. That's why you and I, believer, have to go out and follow in His footsteps and seek out those who do not know know Him and bring them to Him spiritually. We need to introduce them to Him through the Word of God. That's our mission. And if you're here today and, and, and you've heard that message, God is delivering that message to you that you need the hope that only Christ can give you, then let me encourage you today surrender your life to Jesus Christ receive Christ as your Lord and Savior he will heal you spiritually he will make you whole he will make you complete you know it's interesting here in this text there's a a thing that's used I don't know that it was actually coined during this time but it's a phrase that we use often uh, Well, maybe not so much often but if if you're in certain circles of philosophy um, you may hear this word syllogism And basically, it's this idea of an argument involving two or more propositions. It's an argument using two or more propositions. It's made up of a major premise and a minor premise and a conclusion. Boom, boom, boom. Major premise, minor premise, conclusion, based upon these two premises. Let me give you an example. A major premise would be this. All books from that store are new. All books from that store are new. That's a major premise. The minor premise is these books are from that store. These books are from that store. Let me back it up because I know I lost some of you. The major premise is all books, all books from that store are new. These books are from that store. What can we conclude from the major and the minor premise? These books are new as a student. Ha, ah, good young grasapai. <laughs> Therefore, these books are new. That's the conclusion. Notice verse 21 of the text. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this? Who speaks blasphemies who can forgive sins but God alone now here's the way they reasoned number one Jesus claims the power to forgive sins remember he's just told the man man I your sins are forgiven so these Pharisees they begin to reason number one Their major premise, Jesus claims the power to forgive sins. Point two, only God can forgive sins. Number one, Jesus claims the power to forgive sins. Number two, only God can forgive sins. Their conclusion, therefore Jesus commits blasphemy. That was their conclusion. Correct major, Jesus claims the power to forgive sins. Correct minor, only God can forgive sins. Wrong conclusion. It should be number one, this man forgives sins. Number two, only God can forgive sins. Three, What should the conclusion be? This man must be God. Ken Geyer said if that hole in the roof teaches us anything, it's that faith is what brings a person to Jesus, not intellectual reasonings. Let me say this again. If that hole in the roof, teaches us anything, it teaches it's that faith is what brings a person to Jesus, not intellectual reasonings. Curiosity crowded the classroom, but it was faith that dug through the roof to bring the paralytic to the feet of Jesus. That's good stuff. I'm going to say that one again. Listen to this. If that hole in the roof teaches us anything, it's that faith is what brings a person to Jesus. Not intellectual reasonings. Curiosity crowded the classroom, but it was faith that dug through the roof to bring the paralytic to the feet of Christ. Ken Geyer. That's a good quote. That's one of them. I'm going to turn back on my Bible and write that one in there. (laughs) That's That's good stuff. Which is easier? Which is easier? Well, both are easy to say. I mean, really. It, look at what Christ says. But Jesus perceived their thoughts. By the way, you can circle that. Thoughts. You know what that tells me about Jesus? He's all-knowing. He knew what they were thinking. Guess what? He knows what you're thinking right now. For those of you that are uh, off somewhere in la-la-land in your head, those of you who, who are or maybe, you know, clowning, Guess what? He knows what you're clowning about. He just saw that text message you sent. (laughs) All right. So, he says here, He answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say. Okay? You Pharisees and you teachers of the law, you scribes, you're obviously having a problem with the fact that I said to this man who is obviously a paralytic that your sins are forgiven you. So what's easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise up and walk? You know what I'm guessing? And, I, 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 and this is just a guess. I can't prove this dogmatically from the text, but, but I believe because it says there, he perceived their thoughts, and then he asked this question. I bet you one of them jokers was saying, yeah, oh yeah, he can say it. And if he's really God, why don't he just, you know, heal the guy instead of just telling him some simple words. Anybody can say it. Why don't you do something about it? Why don't you actually heal the man? I don't know that, that's actually what happened? I don't know that. But boy, can you see? I mean, I can see how of those scribes and those Pharisees, here's a paralytic you know, dropped down from the roof and these men are determined to get him to Jesus and, and, and no doubt they've heard already about his healing. Curiosity has crowded the classroom. They are there to see what's going to happen. They want, they're there taking notes. They're, they're looking for evidence to, to you know, pin on him. I can see some wisecrack uh, up there thinking in his heart, yeah, you can say it. Well, let's see you do something about it. And so Jesus' response to that thought, which is easier to say, "Your sins are forgiven," you, or to say, "Rise up and walk," but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, "I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house." And immediately, immediately he rose up before them, took up what had been what he'd been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. I bet he was. Wow! Can you imagine what that scene was like? They're packed, standing room only. I mean, this is this is you know the Middle East. And these, these are some sweaty men. There's B.O. To, from there to Galilee. I mean, it's bad stuff. They're packed. There's a crowd. There's a mob. And all of a sudden, the, you know, the dust is flying because the shingles are, are coming off the tile. You know, and, and, and here comes this man on a bed being dropped down at the feet of Jesus and they're no doubt pushing back to, to what's going on. And, and, and then this happens? You know this hustle and bustle because you know, man, there had to be, when that roof started coming back, you know people started getting antsy. You know, I can just hear the the crowd, the roar getting louder and people, you know, pushing and shoving and trying to get back and there's this sound and and I can just imagine when he immediately arose that there probably was a hush across that crowd in amazement. Jesus does here what no mortal man can do. Forgive sins. Forgive sins against God. Because ultimately, folks, our sin, though it may affect others around us, it may be against another person, ultimately our sin is against a holy God. And so for Jesus to make this statement that your sins are forgiven, it's a very clear statement. He is equating himself in the position of God. He is God. Because only God can forgive sins. He forgives the sins against God. No person, no priest, no pastor, no denomination can do this. Forgive sins. Going to church does not get your sins forgiven. Going to church does not make you clean. Only Jesus Christ can cleanse you of your sin. Only He can forgive the trespasses that you and I have committed against God. And we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. you can't go to anyone else you cannot go to anyone else for forgiveness so question what is Christianity what is the distinct thing that Christianity has to proclaim to men what is the distinct thing that you and I as Christians have to proclaim to man The forgiveness of sins. Wow. What a message. We're telling people their sins are forgiven in Christ. The things that we've done and thought and the wrong that we've committed against others, we have a message of forgiveness. What a beautiful message. And we don't embrace it, we don't share it, and we don't live it. The healing of the body is a great miracle. But it does not last. This man died. He ended up dying in that fleshly body. That miracle, though it was great, that part, that did not last. But the forgiveness of sin is God's greatest miracle and it lasts forever. I imagine that the roof needed some patchwork. Perhaps maybe those men came back and fixed it. But I'm struck by the words of, of Warren Weersby in regards to what Jesus did with this man. He said this, God's goal isn't to do a patchwork job on our lives. He came to make us whole. The crowd that refused this paraplegic and his friends entrance. Think about that. I don't know how far they came, I don't know how far they came coating that body. You know, I'm sure they were tired. I don't know, probably by the time they get there, he's down here. And in fact, no, probably they're probably dragging the guy, you know. <laughs> I don't know. But they're carrying him in, and they get to this crowd, and there's mobs there, and oh, we can't get in, and excuse us, excuse us. Hey, get out of here. Go on, you sh- what are y'all doing here? You ain't got no business being here, you sickos, you know, because he is sick, and so he would have been a social outcast. We do know that. They fight the crowd. They're not letting him in. They get on the roof. They lower him down. And just imagine, imagine with me in this moment what takes place. This crowd that refused Him entrance, they now begin to part like the Red Sea. That silence that fell on that crowd, that hush that came when He immediately rose up He took up what he'd been lying on and he departed to his own house, glorifying God. Verse 26 And they were all amazed, and they glorified God. The bed that carried him, he now carried. How do we know Jesus is God? Well, there's just some evidence. There's some solid evidence. Think about what Luke's told us so far up to this point. Listen to what MacArthur says in regards to uh, verse 21, going back to uh, knowing He's God. He says, we know He's God. How do we know that? Well, Luke has made it abundantly clear. There is the testimony of angels... We've already read that so far up to this point in our study. There's the testimony of Zacharias and Elizabeth. There's the testimony of Joseph and Mary. There's the testimony of Anna and Simeon. There's the testimony of the shepherds who heard the angelic chorus. There is the testimony of John the Baptist. There's the testimony of the Holy Spirit that descended upon him at his baptism. The testimony of the Father whose voice came out of heaven. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There is the testimony again of his triumph his vanquishing of Satan in the temptation, and there's the testimony of his power over disease and his power over demons and his power over nature and the amazing account of the fishing story we just studied. All of that indicates who he is. It's unmistakable. It's not arguable. John MacArthur. He's God. Not John MacArthur, Jesus. I had to clarify that. Jesus is clearly portraying from these pages of text as Luke has recorded, he's God. And these folks left that day glorifying God. Folks, that's what it's all about. This is, it's about glorifying God. Your life is not about you. It's not about me. It's about glorifying God. Making much of Him. Enjoying Him. Was it Piper who made the statement, God is most satisfied in you when you're most pleased in Him? Maybe I got that backwards, the pleased and the satisfied. But anyway, do you hear what he's saying though? God is most satisfied in you or he's most pleased in you when you're most satisfied in Him. You see, when we glorify God, when we begin to, to exalt Him, when we worship Him by presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, worship is not just what we're doing this morning. Worship is how we live. Whatsoever you do, do unto the Lord. Everything we live out, everything we do in life is an act of worship. It's supposed to be. And these people left that day, they've witnessed something amazing. They said, man, we have seen strange things today. You think? They glorified Him. They glorified Him. Wow, can you imagine? What if we just all went home today and glorified God? How do you picture the guys that brought in the bed departing? I, mean, I wonder what that looked like. Because again, you know, these guys are wore out. You know, Johnny, man, what you been eating? You heavy. You know? He gets healed. He takes up his bed. And they go home they walk through that crowd and that crowd just begins to separate and they're amazed looking at this guy who's now walking. Woo! <laughs> you know, I bet you, man, they were like, yeah, yeah. You know, chest bump. I don't know. Probably not invented then. <laughs> but these guys are, they're excited, man. They're full of. I mean, don't, don't, don't say, I know some of us say, well, hey, that's You know, that's no, that's improper. Look, you just got healed. You are crazy mad, ecstatic. Your friend just had this something miraculous. You are not just... I mean, you are, you are on cloud 10. Forget 9. You done passed it. You're on your way home rejoicing, man. You're excited. You can't wait to get back to family and friends and show them, Johnny's walking, man. Check it out. Oh, it was amazing. You should have been there. It was, it was just like we, we, we couldn't get to him and we had to peel the roof back and we're dropping him. I mean, uh, you know, they're, they're out of their head with ecstatic excitement. You would be, right? And so I can just imagine these guys on the way home and what they must have talked about and, and, and how that story just spread and how they, they told it over and over again, you know, at the table and when they're dining and, hey, tell that one again, man. Oh, I was there. You should have seen it, man. It was great. You know that old, that old stuffy guy that lives up the road, you know? He's one of the scribes. Where's that fancy outfit he's got? You know, the one that won't ever talk to us. He used to tell us to get off his lawn. He was there. You should have seen the look on his face when Jesus healed. It's like, boom! I mean, it was crazy! Uh, you know, I don't know how it played out. It's fun to think about. But I know this. According to Scripture, they were amazed. And they glorified God. You put it in your own context as far as how do you respond when you're amazed. How do you respond when you glorify God? might begin to get a little feel and taste for what it was like that day. Well, either way, skipping, dancing, joy, tears running down their face, he's healed, he's whole, he's forgiven. I think for the man on the mat, I think that, was his greatest experience. was knowing he was forgiven. We speculated as to what his sickness might have been and speculated that perhaps it was caused by a sin he had committed and perhaps that's why Jesus answered with that first as opposed to the healing first. And if you imagine if that were the case, how convicting and gripping and just how grateful this man was, not just for the healing, but more importantly, that his sin was forgiven. And shouldn't that be our response? A holy God loves us enough to send His only begotten Son that me and you can be forgiven. There's an illustration told of a little boy who had disobeyed his mother He got out his little slate chalkboard and he wrote on it, Mom, I'm sorry I was bad. If you forgive me, wipe this out. The next time he came by, his mother had wiped it clean. You know, Jesus has promised to do that for you. Has Jesus ever personally said to you, your sins are forgiven? Your sins are forgiven you. Can I encourage you this morning, if He has not, hold your chalkboard out to Him this morning and He will. Wipe it clean. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for forgiveness. Oh, Lord, forgive us. We're unclean. Lord, even when we think we're okay, that in itself is most likely a sin of self-righteousness. Lord, Your Word makes it plain. We all have a sickness, and it's the sickness of sin. You're not in focus in our life. We've allowed the crowd to keep us from coming. We've allowed the sickness of sin to keep us from coming. Yet, Lord, we know our need. And if we don't, Lord, I pray you make that need known. Help me to see myself. If there's anyone here today, Lord, may they see themselves as a sinner in need of a Savior. We need to come to Christ, and He invites us to come. And He says, whosoever will, let them come. And Lord, you promise that if they come, you will not cast them out. You will not turn them away. And Lord, I pray right now, perhaps somewhere in this church, someone listening via the radio is bowing their heart and they're confessing their sin and they're calling out to Christ to heal them, to forgive them, to make them whole. And Lord, I pray that they find themselves at the foot of the cross, that they find themselves at the feet of Jesus, asking for His forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that they would by faith turn from their sin and turn to the Savior place their faith in Jesus Christ as their only means of salvation. May they by faith receive Christ today. May he truly become their Lord and their Savior.